Hey, it's your bestie Lo. Welcome to Thrive with Lois, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the best version of yourself and to thrive in all areas of your life. You're here because you want to grow inside and out. So are you ready? Let's thrive together. Hello, hello, and welcome to Thrive with Lois. Today, I am joined by my wonderful friend, Amy Kate Smith, who is known as Dreams and Dumbbells on Instagram. She is a social media guru, fitness instructor, and above all, a mama. And she is 11 weeks postpartum. And today, I am honoured to have her on the podcast. So, Amy, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It means it means a lot. When you asked me, I was um, blown away that you'd want me to come and have a chat with you on this. So, yeah. Oh, of course. Well, we had the pleasure of meeting, was it about a year ago now when we was at a CrossFit gym? Yeah, maybe just over, I think over a year, probably just over a year. Yeah. Yeah. So about a year ago. And I remember seeing you at the gym and being like yeah this this girl's strong like she is strong she's she's got something about her so and then from there we kind of just became friends didn't we really which was you know really really cool and that was something that was really nice about a CrossFit community is meeting so many like-minded women such as yourself so I would love for you to tell everyone listening what it is that you do obviously I know I gave just an introduction then but there's so much to you that I want everyone to know about yeah uh, so what I do um so I guess by day um I'm a social media and digital lead so for within an agency anything from creating memes to to doing monthly reports you name it I do it um and I guess by night I um, yeah, so I'm qualified PT. I did that just for fun, really. And then I teach indoor cycling, so rhythm riding, really, a couple of nights a week. And then fitness writing on the side as well, just as a bit of a passion. That's me, day and night. I guess, yeah, full-time mama, basically. How has that been for you so far? I mean, you're 11 weeks in. I know. So, yeah, 11 weeks. I like to say post-party instead of post-partum. post-partum. Yeah, yeah, post-party. <laughs> post-party. Um, yeah, post-party. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 11 weeks post-party. Um, it is the most rewarding thing I have ever done, but the hardest thing I have ever done. And I've done some things <laughs> in my life. So I've pushed myself to, you know, lots of different from bodybuilding to marathons. And But this is like next level. This is, uh, yeah, it's a really hard. I've learned a very big appreciation for my mum that I'd never had before. Yeah. What would you say has been the hardest thing for you so far? For me, we're for me personally, in in terms of let's I, I'd have to split it. So mentally, um, body image. I struggled with that through pregnancy. Um, and then post party, I've um I've struggled with that too. And still am. Some days I'm getting better. It's it's every day is a little bit better making steps. But some days are hard. Physically, sleep deprivation. Oh, my God. I didn't know that I could function on, like, three hours. Like Three okay. hours? Yeah, like, some days. Girl, how are you, How are you like, here right now? Literally. Um, <laughs> if that was me, think... I'd be like, I've just got to go take, I've got to go take a nap. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's what. And also, I think struggling 
I've struggled to accept help. I'm quite an independent person and um, you have to, I've had to really let some walls down and allow people to help. Um, I definitely think when they say it takes a village, it really does when you have a child. It, it takes a village at the beginning to, to um, because you need as much help as you can get. Mm. So you just touched on there that you used to, bodybuild and for everyone listening Amy actually took part in a bodybuilding competition didn't you you competed on stage yeah Yeah. Uh, so when would that be I'll be two two years ago in June I did my first comp yeah and how was that experience for you I always wanted to do it I've always been it's always been something that I've really appreciative of like I've had a real appreciation for it just the I've always been assessed with like Arnold and everything and I know the dedication it takes for people to get to get their bodies to that place. So I've always kind of had an interest in it for many, many years. And then with lockdown and stuff, not being able to play sport, I was like, what can I do? And bodybuilding was still happening. So I thought, if I'm ever going to do it, this is the time to do it. So I went in, into it quite naively to start with. Like I knew it would be hard, but I'm, I'm, I am a person that loves structure. So actually how rigid the structure is and how controlled everything is actually played into like the type of person I am quite nicely. It was all right to start with. And then you just slowly have to chip away. I think the biggest thing for us was that because of COVID and I say us, I did it with a friend. um, It got delayed. So normally you would do like a 20 week prep. We ended up prepping for 38 weeks, which is a really long time to be on prep for. It took its toll, and by the end, I was ready to to definitely. I think I would say in terms of proud moments, having Max as one, and that's just taken the top spot off of when I stood on that stage. I think it was the first time in my sporting career that I've ever truly, truly been proud of myself, that I knew there was nothing extra I could do whatever package was on that stage was the best that I could have given. There was nothing more I could have done. Yeah. You have to have that huge discipline though, don't you, to be able to compete and get to that kind of stage level. Definitely, 100%. And you have to learn to be really selfish. That I think that's a part of it I really struggled with. You have to put yourself and your prep first above anyone and anything else. And some people will get it. Um, Like I'm really lucky that, you know, my husband has also been is is also enjoys weightlifting and although he wouldn't ever do a bodybuilding comp because he loves food way too much um he kind of understands it so so could understand but there were friends and even family members that just couldn't understand like why why can't you just have this bit of cake or why it's just one bit it's just this one thing it's just this one day like why can't you just you know come and do this or why can't you just not train today? Um, And it's just, and people just didn't get it. And then I kind of, not lost friends, but you kind of lose connection a little bit because they just don't understand it, especially when you're deep in prep. Mm. I have never gone through prep myself, so I can't really relate, but I really do respect that you've done that and I respect anyone who like competes. You know, it is a 
a huge huge discipline and a very like disciplined sport you know I can't say that I would ever do it myself because you know like Ben I love food so much yeah. <laughs> you know you know well done you for put you know, for going through that and like you said actually being proud of that as well and giving yourself the recognition for your hard work yeah definitely there's definitely uh I think the biggest thing as well you need to get yourself I was lucky I had a really good coach who was really mentally supportive and kind of because it is really because obviously the whole idea of bodybuilding is a very aesthetic based um goal and for someone who has previously throughout their life struggled with their body image it I got very hung up on certain things a lot and was very hard on myself and so having a good coach that can pull you back out of those kind of like we used to call them the holes when you got in a hole and you couldn't get out that pulls you away from this tiny bit and actually taught me that it wasn't about focusing on what you didn't have it was about maximizing what you did and drawing judges eyes to like what was the best thing about you I think you really have to have a really good coach because it is so easy to have a bad coach that puts you on way too many calories, way less calories. Like I've heard absolute horror stories. Um, you know, my coach built me up before he even started cutting. He added calories into my diet because he said it was unrealistic where we were going in order to get me to stage on the calories that we'd start on. So you, like he was taking, you need someone to look after your mental and physical well-being. So I think if anyone's going to do it, you need a really, really good coach who really cares about you. And also coming out the other side, that was probably a lot a lot harder than kind of some of the days I didn't want to train. Coming out of show and trying not to binge eat or, you know, trying to re- reverse diet, like that was hard. That was really hard. And gaining weight again, seeing your body go from something so lean and get softer and softer that was mentally really hard. So I would say coming out of prep was probably hardest. Yeah. So Amy, you mentioned that, you know, body image has been something that you have struggled with and are struggling with, um, especially after having Max. And what would you say at the moment with regards to body image is something that you're struggling with? I think for me, I still, I still have... I still have a belly like I could te- you could technically still if I wasn't pushing Max around someone might think I was still pregnant and that's the reality is that you do look still pregnant up because you spent nine months stretching your uterus up rearranging your organs and your body's been growing out to 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 house this little life and then you need to give it time to go back um and it doesn't just snap back like and for me especially like my body type the way that I store fat as well so and I'm breastfeeding so my body's storing everything it can um as well to to be able to keep him as healthy and keep growing as well when I'm feeding him and sustain my body at the same time it is hard to look in the mirror and be like why don't I look how I did when I first got pregnant like he's gone he's out of my body now is why do I not look like me again um so I think that's the hardest thing is to yeah to look in the mirror and and think and and still look like I'm pregnant is there anything that at the moment you're doing 
to manage those thoughts or anything that's helping you to process that you know you've gone through nine months of your body changing and growing a tiny little human because I have a lot of clients who will they'll come to me like postpartum and they'll say I'm really not happy with how my body looks you know it's gone through all these changes and they're really harsh on themselves and bearing in mind that they've just popped out a tiny little human being and they're really really harsh on themselves so like I'll always try and you know remind them that they've gone through that nine month process of growing a tiny little human things aren't going to just change back straight away and try to get them to be more compassionate and kind to themselves however it's hard when you're in that mindset and when there's already so many societal shoulds and pressures about how a woman's body should look so no wonder women feel this immense amount of pressure once they've had a baby to and I'm putting in quotes here get their body back because it's like well why can't you or you should be able to embrace how your body is postpartum as well as how it was pre having a baby so is there anything that you're working through at the moment I think for me it's kind of reminding myself it we we trip we trivialize um giving birth and having a baby I think until you've been in it like everyone knows it's a hard it's hard but actually it's like even I so I went through a very long labor which ended up in a cesarean section by emergency like that's trauma and a severe abdominal surgery yet three weeks later I was like well why can't I get off bed properly like why am I not you know why am I not hitting out going out for a run yet like why why can't I bend down and and pick up like why I'm I was so strong before like why can't I do this and it's this expectation that actually if I was hit by a car and had abdominal surgery no one would expect you to do that and we kind of it's reminding yourself that actually this is trauma you survived a trauma and your body needs time to heal. So I have to have very harsh reminders to myself that sometimes. So when I get in those mindsets, I just kind of, I do sit down and I think and take a moment just to like close my eyes and remind myself of like what I've been through and what I've survived and give myself a pat on the back for that. And that sounds dramatic, but I think we have to kind of put a label on labor and what your body has gone through in in realistic terms to other stuff that you would not expect someone to do outside of that in an injury or an accident and take their time to heal I think as well like taking time to like look at look at Max like he's he is thriving and he's thriving because I'm taking care of him like my body's doing that and I think taking little moments in that actually he and also he loves me he doesn't care what I look like like he loves me like he needs me so I think I also use him as a I 
this isn't per this isn't permanent where the way I look isn't permanent and all that matters right now is that him and I are both healthy and happy and that he's growing and I'm doing and doing the best for him so I also use that as well for me that's quite a nice kind of emotional connection to removing yourself from what I look like to actually a physical job that I'm doing really well um and then last of all I think trying to add in even like a little bit of structure like even if it's yes okay I'm not going to be lifting weights I'm not going to be snatching anytime soon I'm not going to be like do you know what I mean but I can go out for a walk I can take him out for a walk I can get some fresh air even if it's an hour like a day of just getting my steps in those little things actually change like can change your day so I've just been making sure to do little things like that when I start to feel myself getting into a rut and also most of all I talk about the way I'm feeling like if I need to have a cry I have a cry if I need to let out how I'm what I'm what I'm thinking about myself I make myself say it to Ben like I'm because when you say it out loud you and you hear yourself say those things out like actually from your mouth you realize that you wouldn't ever let anyone else say them about themselves so I find kind of those three things using Max as a as a kind of a positive thing that's growing and doing really well and I'm doing that really well kind of just to, even if it's walking getting some fresh air and also talking like I always share how I'm feeling because there's nothing worse than internalizing stuff and none of your thoughts are are not valid I think you're meant to there's lots of pressure on how you're meant to look and also that you're meant to absolutely love every moment of this and you know you're it I am so lucky to be able to have a child but it is hard and there are some moments that you just want to run away and that's okay and everyone feels like that just no one talks about it so I think talking is the biggest one for me as well I think those are all very important points there and one thing that really kind of stood out to me then was um you said that you wouldn't expect anyone else to like bounce back or you wouldn't expect anyone else to say those horrible things like if somebody else was saying those horrible things about themselves you would call them out and you would say like hold up like whoa why you know why are you saying that about yourself so it's treat yourself as you would a friend or a family member or just just anyone really just being kind to yourself and again like like you said your thoughts and feelings and the way that you're feeling is completely valid don't let somebody tell you that you have to feel like really really like happy dappy about every single moment you're allowed to cry you're allowed to feel a bit shit you're allowed to have those I just want to stay in bed moments and and those are okay too yeah definitely and it's hard like especially there's so many hormones running around your body like and if you choose to breastfeed as well or you have when your milk comes in like oh my god I cannot explain the hormones like it it was I think I cried for a week straight like and I didn't even know why I was just I would, there was nothing that would trigger me I'd just be like crying like and it's just because there's so much going on you've had all these other hormones from pregnancy and then they change overnight into something else um like your body's being pulled in a million different places and also for me I kind of thought once I was pregnancy wasn't something that I enjoyed and I really struggled with that as well because 
everyone makes out like it's a really lovely, amazing time. And actually, I was really, really sick. I was really uncomfortable. I couldn't do half the things I wanted to do. I felt like my body had been invaded. Like it was, I didn't feel like me. And I had this whole thing in my head that I would have my baby and my body would be mine. And it's not, it's it's still not my body. Like it's still, I'm still sharing it with him. He's just on the outside. Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? So yeah. it's okay to like, just be like, I need a break or I need to get away or I need to take some time to my for myself. But it is hard um, because I still have moments. Even I find myself asking like, Ben, can you just have him for uh, an hour? Please, can you just have him while I go to have a shower? Like, it's mad that I feel so bad that I'm, I'm going to go have a shower for 10 minutes. Like, that. I Why do you feel bad? It's just this innate guilt, I think, that's built in, built in that you're expected as a mum to do to be and do everything for your child 100% of the time. But the reality is you can't. And also he can't drink from an empty cup. And if my cup's empty, like how are we both going to do well? So it's just not realistic. I think you have to take care of yourself and taking an hour out a day to you where you are you, you're not your, with your, you're not, not they're not a mum, you're still a mum, but you're not with your baby or, you know, you're you're doing something, even if it's just a little bit of a skincare routine or or even if you need to go on that walk by yourself just to have some alone time. Um, I spoke to one other mum. I mean, she's her baby's one and she goes and sits in the car with a cup of coffee in silence. And I totally get it. Like if that's what you need to do, just an just an hour in the car having your peace in peace like um and also yeah so I just it's it's hard that you get so it's lots of you're being pulled in lots of different ways you're trying to do the best for you and your baby you're worried about what people think of you and what you look like when you go out you're worried that you 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 know you're not doing a good enough job that you don't look like do you mean yourself internally there's like so many things pulling at you it is so easy to fall into traps and I think sometimes you just have to take a big breath break things down give yourself a pat on the back for getting to where you are and know that nothing is permanent and small steps like you know small changes every day small little things every day just tick one box one thing you want to accomplish each day if you can just do that in three months time it'll be completely different rather than setting yourself you know these huge unrealistic goals and then becoming disheartened when you've not met them and also to allow your yourself space to get yourself feeling more yourself again you know and yeah. to allow yourself to ha- have that process which is important so you have just gone back to work at your spin studio haven't you yes yeah, so I'm still on full-time maternity but I have gone back to teaching just twice a week um again that's because I need some me time and I need something else that defines who I am and who I was before I had Max because I'm still that person. So it's important to to have to still identify yourself as as who you were. 
Um, so yeah, I went back to teaching last night. It was scary. Why is it scary? Again, like, so I, I mean, we've already kind of touched on this earlier before we recorded, but I, I called, had called my mum on the drive and I had to cry because I felt one, I felt bad for leaving Max for three hours just to go teach. I felt really guilty about that. And two, again, because of how I looked, I had this moment where I was like, I cannot stand on a step or cycle on a stage in front of a class full of people and expect them to take my word on what they need to do to be fit because of how I look right now. And that's really hard to it was a really hard thing to admit, but I needed to speak to someone about it and have that cry and speak about it. And I was scared. I was scared that people would look and be like, well, what does this girl know? Like, not that I've been a PT for seven years and been an instructor for, for you know, for five of them in three different countries. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that whole, it. I know that people go on looks and if they don't know my backstory or didn't ride my class before I went away and had a baby, how how do I, can I expect them to give me a respect, let's say, the way I look? And it took some harsh words from my mum to to kick me up the arse and tell me, like, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you look like. At the end of the day, like, you know what you're doing. You bring energy to that class and you're going to make them work hard. And actually, that's what matters at the end of the day that every single person in that room leaves feeling like they've accomplished something on the bike. And also she kind of gave me some good advice. Like if you feel like that, address the elephant in the room, like just, you know, get on that stage and say, I've just come back from having a baby, you know, address it. And then, you know, those that don't know you can judge if they want to, but you've kind of put it out there and you've let any fear that you had kind of, out there and I've let myself vulnerable and if they want to carry on judge then that's respect that's kind of a you know a reflection on them than it is on me yeah I think addressing the elephant in the room I think that can be a really helpful technique and I agree with what your mum said there but it's you shouldn't have to you know you shouldn't have to feel like you have to say to everyone oh by the way everyone I've just had a baby you know like you like you said, you're a well-established, knowledgeable instructor. You know your shit. You're going to make them work hard. You're going to give them an awesome class and bring the energy. You're going to be the vibe, you know, and I know that you put 110% into your classes and you bring the energy. So why the fuck does it matter what you look like? It doesn't, but it's unfortunately going back to those societal shoulds that women should look or be a certain way or should fit a aesthetic a fitness aesthetic right and who the who the fuck determines what a fitness instructor should look like fitness is not a certain look somebody could be really really slim with washboard abs really really muscly arms and be defined as fit and the ideal and again I'm putting in quotes here fit instructor when in reality they could be really struggling with some unhealthy eating habits they might be struggling with other habits which 
maybe are affecting their health and maybe they're not as healthy as they look on the exterior so health really isn't determined by a certain look it's how you are physically in yourself yeah i yeah 100% agree with that crossfit and meeting kind of you was one of the first times i've ever walked into a gym um or a box let's say where it was about what you were doing as opposed to what you look like and there were so many different shapes and sizes that actually it didn't matter but as a and i think you might find i don't know if you've ever experienced but throughout my whole like i before i was a pt i've always played sport since i was tiny so my sporting career uh you know, I started out in netball and even through county, regional and national netball, I didn't look like other netballers. And that was a massive thing for me because people were always like, you play what level? Like how, how, like you're not, you're not tall enough or you don't look like a standard player. And even that moving out of that into becoming a PT, it wasn't, oh, you're a PT or, you know, I've run a marathon when I was 18 stone and I've run a marathon when I was 10 stone but it doesn't matter because I've run a marathon, but people cannot believe that I could have completed a marathon at that weight. Yet you say at 10 stone and it still doesn't impress them. Oh yeah, of course, because you were like 10 stone. So people it's like, will just never you be, never win. you'll never you win. Never win. You'll never win. Um, so I think through my whole thing, whole sport and PT career, I've always not fit into anyone's box, let's say. So I've always kind of had to deal with that. Um, but so in terms of that, I've always had the mentality that I know that I'm going to be judged. I deal with that kind of in my head, even though I shouldn't be. And I prove my worth through what I bring. And that is, you know, whether I'm stepping on court at a national level netball and giving 110% there and, you know, people not expecting it or running a marathon in whatever time I'm aiming for at a certain weight that people don't expect it. I think I'm always trying to prove to people that you can do anything if you put your mind to it, regardless of what you look like. And that will be a chip on my shoulder, I think, that I'll always have because that's what society's done. The way you look does not define your worth. It does not increase your value. You create your own worth and you create your own value and you are you know the amazing achievements that you achieve you are you know your strength you are your health you are your role as an amazing mum it's a shame that you feel like you have to prove those people wrong because at the end of the day all that matters is what you prove to yourself and I myself have in the past always felt like I had something to prove to other people like you know growing up not being somebody who was accepted in school you know was very like much an outsider and then I went through having an eating disorder because I wanted to be liked I wanted to fit that you know slim I mean, again, like healthy looking, in quotes, stereotype that everyone was like glamorizing, you know, the thigh gap, the amount you weigh increases your worth. And 
for a long time, I was very focused on what other people thought and that increased my value was other people's opinions, right? But it's important to remember the amazing things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I try and remind myself of the things that I am that aren't related to the way that I look. And don't get me wrong, there's still some days and I still have some bad body image days where those little gremlins will sit on my shoulder and they'll be chipping away at me especially when it's around my time of the month they they they're literally like crowding on my shoulders um but it's trying to reframe the stories that you tell yourself and the things that you tell yourself about your body or yourself or what other people are thinking about you or your your body you know yeah I have a list on my phone actually which is just achievements that I can open up in my notes and read through all the things I've done. And how many things are on that list? I mean, loads. There are loads of things I've achieved, especially. And how many of them are related to your, how many of them are related to the way your body looks? None of them. There you go. There you fucking go. Yes. But (laughs) even that, even that isn't, that achievement wasn't about what I looked like. It was about I got onto that stage the work that I put on in to get to on to that stage so even that achievement although the goal is technically was aesthetic it's I was proud of the work I wasn't not the end package it was the process and it was the the process getting there and like you said having that structure and that routine and like that discipline to show up every single day and tick the boxes and do what you were doing to get onto that stage it was the process not you know so obviously you did your competition and you mentioned that you struggled a little bit of body image back then yeah how would you compare what you were struggling with with your body image coming out of that competition to now going through that process of nine months your body changing having max how does that compare gosh I mean I think they're completely different I struggled with coming out coming out of prep. I struggled with the gaining weight, like to to see myself get bigger. Like that was hard. And to not go to a place where I refused to eat. Does that make sense? Like I had to really reprogram my brain into like it was the first time I think I've ever not dieted or been like really focused on trying to lose weight. Like that was, that was, I had to really stop myself from being in that mindset because like I was, I was lit. Well, yeah, I was a bag of bones and muscles basically. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> there was no way it was lovely at the time, but you know, it was pure it was, gains. It was pure gains. <laughs> there was nothing, there was nothing of me. Like I remember the day after the competition, I had my tasting for my wedding and um, I had eaten so little in general to get to that point over the la- over probably the last three weeks of the prep. I was doing my food tasting and I, I threw it all up. There was just, I because I had not eaten that amount in so, like so long or even food that had flavour because by the end of prep, it was like, and asparagus stick and the rice cake. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
Um, that just reminds so, me of the fish and rice cake. Dude. Oh, yeah. Remember that video? Yeah. That, that So Ben always sends that to me because he's like, this was your life. Do you remember? <laughs> fish and rice cake. For breakfast, fish and rice cake. For lunch, fish and rice cake. For dinner, fish and rice cake. That's literally, <laughs> That's literally you. it. That was me. So to to kind of reprogram one, being able to eat food again and not go and not go mad to the point where I was ill, that was really hard. So you still needed control, but also to not get to a place where I've not had an eating disorder, but I can see how I could have developed one at that point because you've spent your life trying to get to this to be tiny and I did grow I grew up in the age of you know Kate Moss size zero and I was never ever like nothing tastes as good as skinny feels do you remember that yeah that's what I grew up it gives me shivers I know I worked at Topshop and Kate Moss released her Topshop range and um I remember not not eating for like four weeks before the launch because I needed to be able to fit in the jeans because everyone was going to wear them in the shop and she only went up to a size 14 and at that point I couldn't get in them when the samples came in so I was like well I need because I can't be the one left out in the shop that can't fit in the Kate Moss stuff like I grew up in that era of like so so finally step on stage is like literally what I'd always worked towards it was really mentally hard to tell myself you have to gain weight again like you have to gain weight because you've lost your menstrual cycle you haven't had that for six months like you're hardly eating you're running on basically caffeine do you know what I mean you've not tasted anything that has any flavor in it for like you have to get out of this hole and it was it was a means to an end and you know I would I would do a comp again but it was about you know telling myself that it was about thriving now, not being thin, and I had to gain weight. And then to see that weight go back on week in, week out, those scales go up. As someone who never, ever wanted to see scales go up, that was hard. That was that was fighting it. Whereas now, the hardest thing now is that I'm going, I'm back in that place where I want those scales to go down again. I've done it before, and I think, I'm scared that I won't be able to do it again. And I, because I know how much hard work I've got to put in to get to, to get to there. And I think that's what scares me in that I know that this is not going to be a quick fix. I know this is going to take time and it's getting my head around being patient. I think this time and understanding that I have more than myself to think about. So, you know, it's not just about, I'm going to go to the gym now it's not as easy as that anymore. I have to think about, okay, who's having Max? Can he come in? Can I put him somewhere safe? Is there a class where he can come to? If he can't, then when can I work out? And also, you know, one of the biggest things for results is sleep. And you just don't have that luxury at the beginning. You don't have that recovery time um, for sleep. So it's kind of, I think, dealing with learning to be patient for the really patient for the first time ever and it's fear fear of failing has always been a thing for me it's a I'm always that's the biggest fear for me that I'll fail failure shows that you've tried 
though. Failure shows. I, I mean, this is the thing. It's like trying to reframe what failure means, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It's I have trying- failed. And, you know, I've learned a lot from those failures. And I've picked myself up and moved on. And I think you have to fail in order because if you never fail, you never appreciate how good the win was, right? And I think for me, it's about using that fear as a driver as opposed to a blocker that actually that fear keeps me dedicated. It keeps me committed. And if I don't make it or, you know, something doesn't happen or, you know, I do fail, then I tried. As long as I tried my hardest, we can deal with that. But um, that has always been something for me that, yeah. That I ha- but again, it comes back to thinking I have to prove something because that failure is a reflection of me and people are going to judge me on that. So again, it's reframing myself that, again, looking at those lists of achievements that actually those are my worth, not those failures, that those 100 failures that I had first in order to get to there because we've all done it. We just don't talk about them. So in my last podcast that I did, I talked about having a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And, you know, what you're saying there, you very much have that growth mindset in that you accept that failure is part of the process and you're able to look at those failures and say, you know what, I tried or what did I learn from this? How can I continue to push forward? And that's the difference between the fixed mindset in that allowing that failure. Um, I'm just saying I don't even really want to call it failure really it's like it's it's learnings isn't it it's you yeah. know opportunity it's opportunities it's you know showing that you you've tried things that you've tried at and you've you're you've not yet succeeded at right you could be one fail away from succeeding right yeah. and then it wouldn't be seen as a failure so it's trying to remind yourself that it's you know going to be part of that process but where do you think that that fear of other people's opinions about you, where do you think that stemmed from? Gosh. I think sim Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll I'll go first. I'll go first. Yeah. So you can have a little think because I feel like I just put you on the spot then. Yeah, I'm like, where this is a deep therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting deep. We're getting deep. So I think for me especially as recently I've been diagnosed with ADHD mm. um I growing up was very sensitive to rejection and mm. I did get rejected a lot by my peers so because I felt rejected a lot that's when I kind of reverted to perfectionism because it was like well if I'm not perfect, then I'm not going to be accepted and I'm not going to be liked. So my whole life, I've gone being a chronic perfectionist with everything that I do, because it's in the back of my head, those little gremlin voices of, well, if you do something wrong, then you're not going to be liked. Or if you do something or if you say something that other people don't agree with or don't like, then they're going to laugh at you like they did in school. So for me, it was very much deep rooted in 
my childhood of always being a bit of an outsider not being fully able to be myself my quirky self because when I was myself and when I was goofing about it was oh you're a fucking weirdo oh you're a neek so I would always suppress that so when I have you know really struggled with you know that wanting to be liked by everyone it's because I felt that need to be perfect my whole life because not being perfect was I guess picked on and seen as a bad thing yeah you know so that's me what about you I think similar in some ways so I think as a child I I wanted to do and try everything and I did do and try everything. And, and I've always been active as a kid. And I think, and my mum just said, like, I used to like run everywhere and I used to, I wanted to do every sport and stuff like that. And I think for the biggest thing I remember is that I did love sport. Like I loved, I loved it. Any form of it, I'd do it. Like karate, swimming, football, netball, hockey, like I name it, you name it, I was doing it. And I think that with that, came this kind of I would much rather have been so when I started school I would much rather have been out playing football with the boys than standing in the corridor with the girls and that very early on caused a lot of trouble for me I think because girls didn't get it and I didn't fit in in that way so a lot of like they all wouldn't talk to me and then the boys wouldn't let me play because the girls didn't want me to play so I remember I used to sit in the library sometimes by myself and I think what happened then I was like actually I love doing this and it was little blocks that kind of built on top so I remember as well that I I got into county and even a teacher said to me, oh, well, this girl didn't get in, so don't expect yourself to get through the next next round. No. And I think it's little blocks like that. that Did it kind of chip away at your confidence? Yeah, it chipped away at my confidence that I wasn't. But also at the same time, it then put this whole worth on medals that if I didn't, if I failed then I couldn't prove that person wrong. Or if I didn't, you know, it was about having physical things to say, well, this is this is why, this is why, like, I'm not worthy, but why I'm why I'm good or or yeah, I guess what well, that's my worth, that I'm proving you wrong. And I think that's where mine came from. Like little bits of so it's about being a bit of an outsider as well. Um because I was I was always I didn't mind people judging me so much and I think the judgment on how I looked came later being told I couldn't do something or having an expectation that I was going to fail in something was probably the building blocks as a child um because I remember as well <laughs> so I when I was little, I was obsessed with... I had these rainbow braces. Oh, yeah. So did yeah. I. With the bands. Not as, in, not as in teeth. No, no. As in... Oh, my God. Oh, 
little as braces, in, as braces. in clothing. Right. Oh, so when I was so probably in like year two or three, um, I, l- I love these braces. Like, so I didn't really want to wear dresses and stuff like that. I, I wanted to wear these trousers with these braces. And I remember I couldn't put the braces back on after I went to the toilet. And um, the dinner lady said to me that basically if my mum had bought me clothes that fit me, I wouldn't need to wear them. No, she didn't. And I told my mum, and like my I'm very my mum is a fiery woman, independent, strong woman. And I'm very lucky to have someone like that who just doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks at all. Um, but I think even like from that moment, I thought, oh, and I don't I didn't wear the braces again. And so I've always had like a little, I want to do things my own way. But also when someone, and I'm quite confident enough to walk out the house and do it, but it just takes one little comment from someone to put back doubt in my head. And that doubt is that leads to a failing feeling or that I will fail. And then that's what's always got me, I think. So it is that failure kind of that, oh, that people will be like, told you so, you weren't good enough. So is it almost kind of like a fuck you, I want to prove you wrong? Yeah. Kind yeah. of thing. Chip on your shoulder. Got a chip, yeah. Got a little chip. Got a little chip there. <laughs> Got a little chipperoo. I'm better <laughs> at it. And I think the image stuff came a bit later. Um, again, because my body, I, you know, I was a late bloomer. But when I did, like, I've always had very large boobs and I've... I went from being quite boyish to very curvy very quickly. Um, And that brings its whole other problems as well, especially when girls already don't like me because I like to play sport. Then all of a sudden, it's like someone smacks me on the back and a set of double Ds pop out the front. Do you know what I mean? Like, And society is sexualized bodies anyway. And therefore, then you're going to steal everyone's boyfriends. So then... And then I wasn't, and as I said, I grew up in an era where you weren't, Kim Kardashian wasn't a thing. Like, do you know what I mean? I wish she was around when I was that age because, oh my God, it would have been a different story. Me too. But, but she wasn't. So I sp- spent my life trying to hide my body and, and prove everyone wrong by doing amazing things at sport. What is it about, what was, what was it about the girls at school that you... They just didn't like me. And it was just a mixture of stuff. I think a mixture of, you know, the way I, my, the way my, I looked, but also that I got, I got on with boys, not because I liked sport, because I had something to talk about that wasn't Mm. girl oriented chat, you know? Um, And I think when you're that age, you know, at school, you know, I don't know, 11 to 16, you, the thought of having friendships with boys isn't like outside of a relationship uh, at like a sexual or whatever relationship wasn't a thing. Mm. Yeah. I can really relate to that because when I was in school, I did have a couple of like girl mates. We had our little girl group. I think there was probably one, two, there there was about five of us in this group. And we were the not cool gang, right? We were the we we would always stand in the not cool corner and have things thrown at us, like 
the ends of people's sandwiches and other shit, right? So those were the only girls that I guess like pre kind of sick form, which was at about the age of like 16 years old, 16, 17, that I kind of gelled with. And I very much would love to, I very much would socialize more with boys in class because I was a little bit of a tomboy. I would love to play video games. I loved being quite like outdoorsy. So I wasn't that typical, like really, really, really girly girl. I pretended I was because I wanted to fit in, but deep down I I never really was. And I went through my young teen years always having a boyfriend. I hopped from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend in my years from like 13 to 16. And I think it was because I meshed and gelled better with them And I felt like with girls, there would always be this bitchiness. There would always be this, like, I guess, rivalry there. Mm. Even if it wasn't obvious, there was always, uh, I guess, an ulterior motive under, like, beneath everything. I remember, oh, this one time, me and my friend, we went to this sleepover, right? We was 13 and it was about, 12 girls and it was my worst nightmare it was honestly my worst nightmare and I went because I had been invited and I was like well I should really go so that I can try and be one of the cool kids because the cool kids were going and there was almost like a bit of disbelief it was like why have me and my friend been invited because we're not the cool kids so I went to this sleepover and it was just a really shitty experience. I remember going there and the girls being so bitchy for the whole time. And I'd actually started my period, I think, not not long prior. And I was still kind of nav- trying to navigate that, you know, what was best for me? Was it tampons? Was it panty liners? I don't know. So it was like trying to ex- like find what worked for my body and get used to the fact that I was bleeding you know every four weeks which was just fucking mind-boggling when you're that age and I remember using these pads and I obviously had to like roll them up in tissue and put them into the bin at this girl's house that I was staying at and I rolled it up really neatly made sure that you know the blood didn't get sorry for the TMI but I made sure that the blood didn't go anywhere put them in the bin and I remember like one of the girls was like eh Who's like put her pads in the bin? It's disgusting. And I was like, where am I meant to put them? If I flush them down the toilet, I might kill off, you know, Mr. Larry the turtle, you know, in the ocean. You know, I just, I honestly, I just remember like going silent and just not saying anything and just feeling so embarrassed for something that is just so normal. Mm. And then for the rest of the sleepover, I remember all of the girls like splitting off into groups and they'd go and have these private chats and it would just be this, oh, do you know what? Like still think about it to this day. I just feel like a bit emotional and a bit sorry for, not sorry. I feel like I just want to go to 13 year old Lois, put my hand on her shoulder and just say like, none of this shit is going to matter when you're older, yeah. you know? 
Um, so yeah, and I don't know. I've just gone on a complete. No, no, I get there, it. But... I hundred percent get it. I think for me as well, like because we were talking about where it all are, where our minds have come from, like where they got built from. But I think from school, I probably have girls. I don't know, like one or two, if that. And I, rem- I so innately didn't trust girls that I remember when I went to uni that is probably the, my uni girls now are, are like I'm so like I can literally talk about anything and everything with them like they're literally my sisters but we have been through some rough shit together because it's like self-sabotage I did not trust them I compared myself to them constantly at uni like you know and and I did some shitty things because I was like, why do these girls like me? Like, why would they be like, why are they, they can't, this can't be real. Does that make sense? But was that like your defense mechanism? Cause you didn't yeah. want to be fucked over by them. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's that fear. And I think that that same fear that you had at that sleepover, that this is a trick, like something's mm-hmm. gonna, this is, I've been tricked here. And you're mm. just waiting for the reveal. So I think that's kind of where it's always, for me, stemmed from. Like, yeah, never being really accepted. Then once your body changed, and especially within sport, because there's all these stereotypes you have to live up to of what you should or shouldn't look like within different sports. Um, it just all builds up and then it all leads to a big mess in your head. And I am an overthinker. I always have been. I have very active overthinking mind. I overanalyze everything. Um, that it's about kind of calming that noise in my head and trying to be logical a lot of the time. And I find in general, and even now, you know, normally speaking to Ben as a man helps me be more logical a lot of the time because they just and I don't know if you found this as a as a young girl boys just don't care yeah they don't (laughs) they literally don't give a shit (laughs) and it's like I don't want to say this is like this with all men but it's like there's the things that we overthink about they're just there like in their own brain thinking about what they're going to eat for their lunch literally and, and then we're now, over there thinking oh my god he didn't say he didn't say love you at the end of this message or he didn't put a kiss that means he doesn't love me anymore yeah and even <laughs> now like ben is just so black and white with with like he's like you had a baby you did an amazing thing like sh- get on like be proud move on like stop sitting there thinking oh i should be doing this i should be doing that he's very good at, at keeping me very grounded and on one light one focus i'm very that's so good that. that he's really that's so good that he's really supportive because yeah. that's exactly what you need you need somebody fighting your corner and saying listen up like you've gone through nine months of you know something really truly amazing cut yourself some fucking slack is there anything that you know as max grows up you're going to teach him or you're, is there any beliefs that you're going to try and push him towards with regards to his body or his relationship with food that maybe you didn't have that guidance yourself 
when you were growing up? Yeah. I th- so I think it, that's a that's a good question. I think innately when this is a, a kind of sideline to that. When I had when I was told he was a boy, I was like a little part of me was like I'm glad because he won't have to experience a lot of the stuff that we do as women. I will always teach him exactly what my mum taught me in that you can do and try anything you want and you can be and do anything you want and you will be, oh, you'll make me proud no matter what. Like, I will always teach him that. Um, And in terms of food and fitness, I think he'll always be exposed to it, whether that be through Ben playing rugby, my like even now he he sits in the rocker now I'm starting to train again and watches me train and so he'll always be exposed to that and if he chooses to do a sport if he chooses to do that then you know I'll support that I think with food definitely like I'd love to teach him balance you know the importance of every food group like not just you know we're not cutting out carbs we're not doing this like it's about having a balanced view on your on your food and introducing him to, to, uh, you know, when we start to wean to everything we can um, and to give him confidence in himself. But I know that as a boy who will then be a man, he will not probably have some of the worries or the experiences that we as women have. So I think the biggest thing I can teach him is to be able to see the world through our eyes so that when he does meet someone or, you know, goes to school and has friends that are girls, that he can relate to them and and be, you know, what Ben is for me, basically. He's like the calm to my storm, let's say. So I think that's the biggest thing I can teach him. I think that's a really lovely note to end on. And Amy, it's been so lovely having you on the pod. We have gone so deep today. We've I gone know. to layers that didn't even I need know this. Existed. Can we just do it every week, whether we record <laughs> it or not? I think I need this. This is going to be my therapy. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you my uh, therapy rates. That's fine. <laughs> no, but honestly, thank you so much. And I think, you know, everyone listening is going to be so, so valuable for them to hear from, from you. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap this up? I think for anyone who obviously is listening um, or that you coach that has kind of come out the other side of having a baby or we all feel it, like even if people aren't talking about the way that you feel, we're definitely all feeling the same thing, whether that be, you know, you're tired or you're worried you're not going to be able to do something or you're worried about what you look like. Everyone is is feeling it. And I think reach out and speak about it because the biggest thing that's helped me is knowing I'm not alone, knowing that there are, you know, other, other people that have been through it a little bit further ahead, or even those that are kind of just behind me in terms of timing um, and knowing that, um, that it's valid and that it's okay to feel those, those ways for sure. I love that so much and everyone listening make sure that you head over and follow Amy on Instagram at dreams underscore and underscore dumbbells and thank you so much Amy. No worries thanks for having me it's been a pleasure.